Memories bring back memories. This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye. And I was watching Instagram a little bit earlier on and scrolling through, I, I do it as a break from work. So after I get up from my laptop, I'll go and make a cup of coffee. In this instance, hot chocolate because it's really cold in Johannesburg. But I then give myself time to just kind of scroll and consume media. I don't do it a lot. So it's like a kind of escape for me, just kind of switch the brain off and just go on autopilot. And I was watching Michael's stories from the Wild Amara camp. He's there now and sharing some pretty cool sightings and stuff from the camp, mornings at the campfire and such. And I suddenly realized I've let my mind go a little bit and how one memory of the Mara camp led to the next, led to the next, led to the next. Now, I know I stole the, the, the title of this podcast from a Maroon 5 song, but as far as I know, that one's all like miserable because he's singing about someone he's lost. In this instance, I think it's more about memories and what it's made you gain in your life. So I thought, let me just kind of sit down and just talk through this because if I look back at the history of the Mora Camp, right, there's, there's these, I would almost call it highlights, but there's these moments that stand out above many others. And it's so diverse, it's frightening. I mean, I'm going to go back all the way to the first time that Jono, Andrew, myself went to the Mora. And the moment we drove through the second Ani gate for the first time, and it's like you get out there and suddenly you realize, damn it, I am in one of the biggest and most famous and most amazing game reserves in the world. So that moment was quite interesting to me. And then I'm just going to run through these as they come up. The other thing on that particular trip was, now remember, first time in, the, in, in, in East Africa, first time in the Mora, and the... The Maasai have a, some kind of mysticism to them almost. They're almost like, they, they're the smallest tribe in East Africa, only like 1%, but they're the most famous with the red uh, shukas and the jumping and all of that. So anyway, we're driving from Sekinani Gate, and I think it was about an hour and a half, two hours drive to where we were camping at that stage. Not our camp, we used a different operator. But we're driving and we stop for a drink under a tree because we arrived there like I think just after lunchtime so the guys pull off and they give us a drink and it's all amazing and stuff and there's one Maasai driver he's in his full I think he was wearing purple um, I think his name was Paco 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 let's call him Paco right if I remember correctly anyway so he walks off down this road and I'm standing there and I think oh my goodness I'm like this is Africa all new to me this is amazing and I'm thinking there's this Balanat tree in the distance. It looks like a little umbrella tree. He's walking towards it. There's a real massa. I'm like, fuck, this is amazing. Next moment, his phone rings. <laughs> and he rips out his cell phone. I'm like, okay, reality check. Look, it wasn't enough to break the romance by any means. But it's one of those moments from the Mara camp and our journey to get there that will always stand out. So many. I mean, I remember on the first it wasn't the first, maybe the third or fourth night of our first trip. It was also based on a six-night, seven-day package. So it was actually the first Wild Eye Mara experience was actually booked under my previous company called Photo Africa. And in the time from when I booked it and, and filled it up, uh, we Wild Eye started. So it just became the first Wild Eye trip, right? So Jono and Andrew, Jono was, he was actually one of the clients on there. And Andrew, I got to co-host with me. So we were all there. And I just remember 
that the the people who hosted us so so what we had is we rented basically the camp so i met, i got in touch with a photographer from online he was like the middleman he had this this guy in kenya who put up these mobile tents and stuff like this so we thought that's cool and look it was great the the experience was great but everything else not so much from a hospitality and kind of just that point of view so so i remember the first night i had a bunch of south african guests right and after the first lunch we realized there either isn't a lot of wine at camp or there's really shit wine at camp and there was an old couple that hosted us americans who moved to uh they moved to kenya many years ago and he was running this mobile thing and look she wasn't scared of white wine let me tell you that she was not scared of a of a bottle of white wine so anyway we made a plan on that first night to go to serena and purchase a lot of better wine because i mean coming from south africa we can't drink shit like that anyway so a couple of nights later we we back from drive look the wildlife was off the charts i mean we had i think my first river crossing in the morrow we had geez i think it was about three and a half four hours my first crossing i'm like holy shit is it always like this? I mean, it was mind blown. I must have filled up like 10 memory cards because you're like, fuck, this is awesome. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Um, anyway, so we get back on this particular day and the old couple <laughs> that's running this place. So there's there's a thing, I mean, as a guide, and those of you that have traveled with us, you'll know, we always dish last. It's a thing. It's in our DNA. It's what we do. It's we're professional. You're the you're, you're on holiday. We're, we're working. So the... The, the guest always goes first. Anyway, so on this particular day, the chef at the time made some ribs or something, right? Anyway, so we get there, and Dixon, I'll, I'll get to Dixon now, he calls us for dinner, and he was quite, he, still a little bit, he, he was quite, what's the word I'm looking for here? He was quite pushy. Like, if he says dinner, you're going to come now. You're going to fucking come now. Anyway, so we get there, and the first guest goes up, and these two, the old couple that ran, like owners of this camp thing, they've already been in. They've taken all the good shit for themselves. And the guests are also like, okay, this is awkward. And by the time, I mean, Andrew and myself got there at the end, there was barely anything left. It looked like it looked like the ribs, because there was a bowl for all the old ribs. It, all of it looked like that. I was like, yeah, okay, you guys have no idea. That was funny. I remember also another memory from the camp was I was fascinated with the Maasai culture. Still, still am. It's, it really is something special. But at the time, Dixon can, he, he could barely speak English. I mean, it wasn't conversational at all. It was bit by bit by bit. But I was doing YouTube videos at the time, which, which is, I actually don't know if it's still on YouTube, under Photo Africa. But I was doing videos of the experience, and I sat Dixon and Tenke down, and I basically tried to interview them on Maasai culture. And I remember, it was at the campsite called Kiboko. Some of you might have been there. And we sat at the bottom next to the tree, and that tree became the spot where we decided that we're going to do a Mara camp. Andrew, John, and myself, we were there. Um, one of our partners at the time stood with him, and then that was the start of it. At that tree where I did the video with the guys. I'm actually going to look for that video. So, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting journey. Very interesting journey. I mean, then other things, if I fast forward a couple of years... I remember before we had our own permanent site, we were sitting in the dining tent. Now, it's a big five by 10 meter dining tent with two supporting poles in the middle and then obviously the, the guide ropes and stuff around. But there was a storm. 
I'm talking like a proper storm. It started like at 6, 6.30. Dinner was at 7, I think. And I remember sitting there and half of this tent, there was a gust of wind. And now all of us, I mean, there's there's 12 guests, myself, and I can't remember who's guiding with me. It lifted up half this tent and the whole thing came down on us having dinner. So I mean, luckily, nobody got hurt. We saw what happened. It was like in slow motion. But everybody jumped up. You put your hands above stopped it it was it actually turned out to be quite a fun thing if you will because everyone was like holy shit this is happening it's so awesome the Maasai running around it's raining and windy but that was that was kind of a standout moment yeah so many of those hey i remember going up to out of africa which is where we do this beautiful breakfast spot up on the escarpment it's called out of africa because some parts of the movie was filmed up there and this happens more often than you would think but we, we arrive up there and the first thing people do is they're kind of blown away by by the view and what we've set up there for them. So they take pictures and they, they're meeting the Maasai up there and they're having their full cooked breakfast and stuff. And then afterwards, we normally do some group shots because it's a beautiful spot for like group shots for people to remember the experience by. But more often than not, and I watch for this and it's great to see, people will kind of step away from the group and just sit on a rock and just sit. That moment is just amazing and I remember I'm thinking this is 2014 could be 15 but there was one client who traveled with me quite a few times and on this particular occasion her husband died like a year and a half before this and they always wanted to travel to the Mara together so she followed through she did this and there was it's probably one of the most sincere real moments I've had up there where she was sitting just behind where we put the the, the table there's this big tree with like a termite mound at the bottom. And she was sitting on there and I saw her sitting, the people all over doing their thing. I went to sit next to her. She looked at me and she just burst into tears and she held my hand and that, I knew exactly what it was. It's moments like that that makes you realize, you know what, money can't buy stuff like that. This was for her, like not a farewell, but it was kind of a, a bit of a closure because they always spoke about it and now she was there and it was just, to me, it was really, really special. I mean, we just sat there for a couple of minutes and then we carried on. But it's that singular moment which, which stands out. <clears throat> really does. Yeah. I mean, and then you look at the Maasai like Dixon and the guys. The, the interesting thing with someone like Dixon is, if, if, and if you, if you ask him, he'll tell you he could barely speak English. Barely. And now you can't shut him up. He's amazing. So... So a couple of years ago, he went to New York with me and with Jono and he joined us at these travel shows and stuff like that. And the memories around that, I mean, this all links to the Mara camp, right? So we we're at, we fetch Dixon from the airport and we drive, this is in LA and it's cool and everything, but long story short, we arrive in New York like a week later. And now imagine someone who comes from a village with 47 people. And you put him in Manhattan where there's like 8 million people on any given day. He was walking around in total shock and awe, right? So the one thing I will never forget. So it's lunchtime on the first afternoon. And we walk, it's on, I think it's on 34th and Broadway. There's a, there's a, a, a Shake Shack in that area there. So we take him there, right? So we get like cheeseburgers, chips, milkshake, the whole do. And Dixon sat there. I mean, he, he, he absolutely abused this hamburger. He pummeled that thing, right? And afterwards, he's like, this has probably been one of his best moments. It's how soft the bread was. And it's something I never thought of, but that singular moment, John and I just look at him and it's like, what? That's brilliant. On that same trip, 
we we were having uh, um, lunch up in I think up is it Columbus Circle somewhere there on the on the corner of Central Park and with myself Dixon Jonna and Dennis one of our regular clients and it started snowing anyway the first time that Dixon has seen snow in his life so the first thing we do he says can we take pictures like of him in the snow absolutely so I said well what about your shuka because he brought that along for the travel shows. We rushed down, where were we? I think on 30, again, 34th area somewhere, 32nd, at some Airbnb there, get it, rush back up to Central Park. And I did a bit of a photo shoot with Dixon there, which is till today one of the most special things I've ever done in New York. It was amazing. And then he got into it. So the next morning, we got up at like half past three, went to Times Square. There was nobody, like not a single soul, which is unusual. And we got some amazing shots of him there. It's all on my website. You can go and have a look. It's really, really cool. But um, it's those memories that all link together. It's just, it's amazing. On that same New York trip with Dixon, we, I took him to a basketball game. The Knicks were playing. It was at, at um, Madison Square Garden. And initially, he's checking this thing out. So I bought him another hot dog. Again, the bread is the softest thing in the world, which is great. I had a beer. He had a Coke or something. And the game starts. And he's checking this out and this and that. And I kid you not, the moment that the first, I think it was Junior, someone Junior, jumped and he did a proper slam dunk and they put on the screen. Dixon's like, yeah, now we're talking. I don't know if it was the jumping thing or the action, but I think his highlight of that, halftime, they brought on a bunch of kids. I mean, these, they, they couldn't have been older than like seven. And these kids played like a, almost like an exhibition match. It was fascinating. Dixon was howling with laughter. It was amazing and I think I mean all of these things one memory brings up another brings up another and just how my first visit to the Mara and it hasn't ended by any long stretch but took me to Madison Square Garden with a Maasai from Kajiado in Kenya and us having the best time that's really really cool like amazing there's coming back to the camp just memories bringing back we on every safari in the Mara, we do like a cultural evening, right? And what the what the Maasai then do is they have the evening, they do some traditional dances, they explain what it means, and then they kind of do a Q&A, if you will. Now, initially, this was a bit stressful <laughs> to some of us because they didn't understand the questions and sometimes it was hard and they couldn't communicate. And so I would always, in the evenings when they start this, I stand in the back, I'm like, oh, man, Hope this goes well. And they crush it every time. Now, now, we start these evenings. The dancing is amazing. The descriptions of what that they do is so much better. But then when people start asking questions, and this I love about the Maasai, there's no filter. They're going to tell you straight. Some of the questions people ask, they give such a brutally honest answer that you can see the people are like, fuck, maybe I shouldn't have asked that. But it's great. It is absolutely great because it's real. It is so real. There's so much memories that leads to memories. And it's very difficult to kind of distinguish one from the other. But isn't that the good thing about travel, though? Going to the same place again and again. I did a podcast recently in which I also spoke about, sorry, it was a blog on the Wild Eye website, where people go to a place once and then it just go to the next place. They, they write off the place they've been to. I just think the... And I mean, I think of, what example can I use? So Svalbard, right? I get to Svalbard for the first time ever. Blows my mind in every possible way. And then when I leave there, you don't think, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to get back there. But then a year later, you get back 
And the moment you land, it brings up memories from the previous trip. And, it, and then you start building more memories on top and more memories on top. Like now, if I go to Svalbard, I think I've been like eight times now. The, 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 my memory bank is so full of amazing experiences from that place that it's almost like going back, you're digging into that and it, it fills your head with all the stuff you've done and things you've experienced that it enriches your experience. And to me, that's real. I mean, I haven't, let me just think about this. December, I last saw Dixon and them in November 2019 when I was hosting a, a wildlife photography workshop out of our camp. And oh, this is another big memory for me at camp. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to loop back. I'm going down a rabbit hole quick. It was the last day of camp for the entire year. It was the day that when my group left, that was it, we're closing camp. So Jono messages me the night before because we've got like a little final evening ceremony thing. It's very sweet. And he sends this, this letter that he wants me to read to the staff as kind of like the closure of camp and thanks for everything in this. I've got that. It's on one of my vlogs. Actually, I read this thing. I've never tried so hard not to shed a tear in my life. Like I'm saying, I've got guests there, right? Six people who was in the workshop with me. I'm now reading this letter. I'm After that, I've got to say thanks to the guys and blah, blah, blah. Jeez, I could barely talk. It's like just tears everywhere. It's like, it, that's real. That's real. And then the next morning when we checked out, I took pictures with the, the entire Mara um, crew, all of them, at the entrance to our camp. And again, having to get in that car and drive away and look at all these faces waving and Mary's crying. And it was, it's beautiful. It is absolutely magic. Another memory just, just what's it? Thickens, strengthens, saturates the experience. It's totally amazing. Anyway, what was I saying before? So I can't even remember. I'm lost in memories. But yeah, just one thing to the next. Tenke, how, how, he literally initially he would have to teach him how to make a drink now i go back and him and i joke every single time okay can i have a double gnt and he makes the best one in the morrow and we joke about the memories we've had he knows now when i come back in the evening my stock standard double whiskey on the rocks that's what i get and we joke about the past when he didn't know what that was i think it just deepens everything and when i was sitting here earlier on kind of just letting my mind go it was interesting to, to like if you can graph it sometimes Damn, I wouldn't want you to graph my mind. It's, it's a messy, messy, very busy place. But it jumps from here to New York to back to a Zoom call with Dixon to a moment in Nairobi and all of the, it just keeps on going and going and going. It's great, hey? Absolutely great how these memories just bring back other memories. And yes, I'm not quoting Maroon 5. I'm just using the title. That's all. But yeah, so I'm back in the Mara in, the, I'm, I'm flying on the 22nd. So that makes it about, I think 14 days from now, I'm flying up. And I think the closer I get, the more real it becomes, the more memories you go deep into. <laughs> like, I mean, even something like after one of my previous Mara trips, we, we came back and we left in the morning, but all our flights were late. So we went to the Crown Plaza and we do like a day room there. So if you're ever there, it's a great day room. It's up at the swimming pool. There's drinks, there's power. You can put your stuff away, whatever. Anyway, so we're there. It's, it's three of us and myself, three guests and myself. And the price you pay has lunch included. And it also has something like two drinks included, right? So um, the guest, obviously, two drinks from like 11 until 8, 11 in the morning till 8 in the evening, ain't going to cut it. That's just the truth. And 
then it's like, okay, what do we do? Do we paste this? So things like this, and I love, I love Kenya for this. I go and I said, the bomber's name was Robert, I think it was. And I said to Robert, listen, bud, can you, I chat quickly. So I took him around the corner. We, uh, how do I say this? We had a little conversation and we did an African handshake and our meal was better. We had drinks on tap. These things happen. It's amazing. Actually, his name isn't really Robert. I made it up just in case. But um, that was great. And we have the best time there. Sit watching your images uh, on phones and videos, laughing about this stuff. Memory connects to memories. And then I jump back from that kind of uh, 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 that kind of luxury before you fly out to, 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 to the first time we went to the Mara with my first trip. We drove from, from Nairobi through Narok to the Sekinani Gate. Holy shit, I don't think I've ever been that scared for my life ever. Because none of my guides were driving. This was other people driving. And these guys were tilting it at like 1, 1, 10. There's potholes, they're half off the road. Fuck. It was tense, hey? It was real. But we got to Narok. We spent the night there in a hotel called The Four Seasons, which I promise you now, whatever you have in mind, it's not that. It's the total opposite. But these guys who put the trip together for us, they, they thought it's a great idea. It wasn't. If you're listening, it was a shit idea. Don't do it again. But we spent the night there. We went down as a group. All my guests, John, Adam, myself, had some drinks. Next morning, back it up and go. Take it in your stride. Add it to the memory bank. It's amazing. It really is amazing. So I'm going to stop waffling now because I can carry on and on and on. I just It was just an interesting thing to me earlier on how the mind just goes and just jumps from one to the next to the next, but everything comes back to either one person or one place, the Mara camp for me in this instance. And the only, I mean, I can do this with Svalbard. I can do this with any of my destinations. It's just, we've got such a deep, deep entrenched passion and love for that Kenya product because of the people. Literally, the people, the staff make it. So it's just every everything, oh my God, wait, 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 wait. One more memory from the Mora camp that I need to share with you, which I can't, I've probably pushed this down to my subconscious. Here we go. Have you ever heard of army ants or safari ants? They are directly from hell and they are terrible, terrible creatures. So this was at the camp, so all my staff was there, but this was when I was still running big cats and tuskers many, many moons ago. So we were in the Mara. I can't remember which campsite it was, but the camp was up. We had the dining tent, we had the media tent, all the guest tents. So it's like this, the night before we have to leave because we we're going to Amboseli now. So we have dinner, and then Penny was brand new with us at the time. She's now moved on. But we sat at the end of every day just because she was brand new, and I would sit with her and kind of more of this, do that, how do you feel, just kind of helping, mentoring, whatever the case might be. So our tent was in the far, far side of camp, like far. So end of the night, anyway, we go. She goes off to bed. I hang around and chat to Dixon a little bit. I go to my tent. Now I'm carrying a bunch of stuff, right? I've got my camera bag because I've got to go and pack. We're leaving tomorrow. And the, the, the tent is a three, three and a half by three and a half meter dome tent with one of these um, uh, arch zips that you open up. The, there was a Maasai blanket on my bed. The duvet is white. My bag, as you look in, was open on the right-hand side on the floor. And there's a bedside table. Right? Now, I don't notice this. I'm carrying a lot of stuff, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I zip open, but I don't notice that the bed is now half black. Right? It's half black, but I don't, I don't process. I don't, it doesn't register at the time. 
So I go and I put some stuff next to me on the next to the bed onto the bedside table. And then there's an ant on my hand. I'm like, what the what the hell? Brush him off. And then suddenly it kicks in. My whole fucking tent is covered with army ants, but on the inside. So what do you do? I freak out. I go call Dixon. <laughs> you, it, it's, it's the most helpless feeling in the world. So I go to Dixon. He already went to bed now, right? Because we left each other. So I go back. And Dixon, Dixon, he comes out. He says, what's wrong? I said, there's army ants. We need to do something. He's like, oh, no, chill. They're not that bad. I said, dude, you need to walk with me right now. No, no. He's like playing it down. And we're walking. And as we get to, the, get to my tent, these things are now. So, so in the front of the tent, there's this mesh as well. They're basically just filtering through that as well. My tent inside is full. And Dixon looks at this, he's like, and his face is just like, okay, this is a problem. This is a wee bit of a problem. So he dashes in, he grabs some of the stuff that I need to get out of there. We grab my bag and we take all of this back to, um, to the, the main area at the dining tent, right? So with this commotion, Penny eventually gets there and Mary was also around. She's like the mama of camp, right? So now I'm wearing denims. I've got, what am I wearing? Flops, I think, flip-flops. And I'm not bent over. Now, everyone's like, what's going on? What's going on? So I'm looking in my bag whether there's any ants in there. Thank goodness there wasn't. But as this happens, I feel one, if not more ants, on the inside of my denim walking up, which for any of you guys, you'll know this is a bad plan. Pants off, right there, done. Take it off. <laughs> I think Penny and, um, and Mary must have had the fright of their lives. I think Dixon just laughed at me. Anyway, so I, I cleared the culprits away. Shake the denim out like 400 times, put it back on. Now what? Okay, so my tent's being overrun. Anyway, so we decide we, they've got extra mattresses. So my tent from Penny's was about 15, 20 meters, I think. Anyway, so we think we'll put my mattress on the floor. Everybody's adults, no stress. She can sleep on the bed. I'll sleep on the floor. We're good. This is not about half past 11 at night, right? Okay, cool. First bump all around. Dixon, go sleep, done. So we go. So he's in, in the tent kind of finishing up and half packing what I'm brushing my teeth outside and as I stop I hear this rustling and I look around I, I, I had a little torch pointed around see nothing I walk as I'm looking at the tent to the left hand side where the direction where my tent was and behind the tent ten, Penny's tent there's this tree hanging over the tent so as I point at it again it doesn't register immediately and then it's like oh my god Every single branch is covered black with these army ants. Right. These things are horrible. Go and Google it. Safari ants or army ants. So, so just as an interest. So I was wearing flops earlier on when, when I told you the, when we got to the tent, when Dixon and I got there. And they would literally bite into this flop. Like bite. And they, you could break their heads off, but that shit stays in. And you've got to open this, this jaw. And it's a vicious creature. Anyway. So I see this tree at the back of of the tent kind of and they just slowly busy to drop onto the tent and here we go anyway so i'm like fuck walk around pain listen you gotta come out so, she, so i come she comes out i walk around i said can you see that and she's like what what look at the branches yeah i see the branches can you see it's black yes oh god okay it's ants so now we start getting our stuff ready because we got to go back to the dining tent with all of our bags as we're standing there these ants now has basically infiltrated the top and underneath of the tent and they start coming up from underneath right again fuck okay go we take all of our stuff call dixon again we go back and now these guys think that's a good idea to just throw like like pour diesel around i'm like dude it doesn't matter we're not there anymore 
So long story short, we left that. All of our stuff got out the tent. And for those of you that know the dining tent we spoke about early on, it's a five by 12 meter. We basically just put the sides up and we put two mattresses, one on the one side, one on the other side. And that's where we slept for the night. It's not finished yet. Anyway, that night also the hyenas came and they absolutely pummeled the kitchen. So different story. Anyway, wake up in the morning early and I think we did wake up calls at about half past five. And then one of the guests, Mandy, she she would normally come down, kind of wrap her Maasai blanket around her, come from a tent, make tea, go back, finish up, and then come down, which is cool. People do that. Anyway, so we still, the two of us are like, you know, we're packing our stuff and opening up and making everything neat. Dixon and them are around. Anyway, so Mandy comes in, morning, how do you sleep? Uh, long story, I'll tell you later. She goes to make tea, and I walk. So she's basically, she's wearing a pink hoodie, right? And this Maasai blanket around her body, but kind of, like just above belly button height. It was quite high up. And as I look at her, she's got long hair. There's one army ant on her back. And I'm like, oh my God. Anyway, so I kind of just look around and there's another one. So I say to her, Mandy, don't take this personally, but take that blanket off immediately. She's like, why, why? I say, just take the blanket off. Take it off. And the inside of this blanket is covered <laughs> with army ants. So she left a blanket outside. So now these army ants, a squadron, this battalion of death, they came from far away from where our tent was all the way. They're just moving. It's not their fault. Well, I blame them totally, but it's not their fault. They're just doing what they do. So uh, there's a couple of them. So I start smacking her on her back and her shoulders, trying to get these things off. She's like, ah, what's happening? So eventually we get that situation sorted. I said, okay, cool. We need to go back to your tent right now because she just picked the thing up like two seconds ago and then she came to make tea. As we get there, they're not completely there yet, but you can see them, and they, they, some of them are coming, right? So I said to her, listen, you need to get in there and pack immediately, like now, because we need to get your shit out of here. She says to me, and I remember, this is, this is she's, everything's unpacked in this, and she says, no, 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 I, you, me, Jerry, you've got to go pack for me. I'm like, uh, okay, personal stuff, and, and anyway, <laughs> we managed it, as we always do, packed, and we moved on. Wow. I haven't thought about that for a while. See, memories. Jeez. Yeah, it's um, it's the only time in all this years. I must have done a hundred and something trips to the Mara. It was the only time I've ever seen those things. Okay, then one more. And this is the same trip. Last one, I promise. Then you guys can go. So, <laughs> so on that same trip, now we get to Amboseli, right? Amboseli, dry, dry, dry. We put the camp up on a Maasai guy's land overlooking Kilimanjaro. It was absolutely breathtaking, like totally breathtaking. And on the first night, so I think we were there for three nights. On the last night, we were going to photograph stars. I mean, it is the best stars I've seen in my life because there is no light pollution at all, zero. So in the day, we walk to the tree, which we're going to use as the anchor. Aim, I do all the talk. This is how you're going to shoot it. Shutter speed, long ISO, blah, 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 blah. We come back and I said to the people at dinner, Whoever wants to come and shoot stars will meet at about 11 o'clock because we check the moon and everything, and then we'll walk out there. So, and this is my mistake, I was wearing flops, I've never worn them since. Uh, there's about five of us, myself, Penny, Grimmer, same trip. And so there's the Maasai guy in front, now we're going to walk from the tent into the darkness to this tree where we're going to shoot. So the Maasai guy's in front, then myself, then Nancy, lovely client of ours, she's done a lot of trips, and then a couple of other people, Penny right at the back. So we walk, nice and quiet, beautiful stars. Everybody's like, cool, this is amazing. And anyway, so the Maasai guy walks in front. The next moment, holy shit. 
it it feels like I've put my leg up to my knee into a bucket of lava. It hurts like hell. You have no idea. And I'm like, what the fuck? Shark. Ah. Look around, and there's a scorpion. Big motherfucker, right? This thing's there. So I half-stepped on him, and then he hit me. So if you could imagine, if you put your hand on the table in front of you, your right hand, if you come down from where the pinky is, there's that fleshy part on the foot. He hit me in there. He just missed veins. Anyway, he hit me in there. So anyway, I'm pissed off. I step on this thing, and literally, like, I want to say I can't feel my leg or my foot, but I can. It hurts, like, like, literally up to the knee. It is burning. Anyway, so I say to them, okay, cool, listen, you guys go. I'm going to get back. I'll put some ice on it and whatever the case is. Now, this is early days, right? We weren't as jacked as we are now. So I hobble back to camp. These guys go shoot. So I'm sitting there, and signal is sketchy on the phones, right, at this particular spot. So now I sit there, and I've got ice on this thing. Dixon's like, are you okay? Oh, yeah, so ice. So now I'm Googling. So I identify this particular scorpion as, I must remember now, parabuthid. Parabuthid leosoma, a white, a yellow-tailed scorpion. In South Africa, we've got Parabuthus africanum, which is also, it's a bad, bad, bad insect. It's not an insect, it's an arachnid. Sorry, that's how messed up it was. So now I Google what, what can happen. And I swear, the only, this is bullshit you not. The only thing I can find with my broken internet, this is now after this thing stinging me and I can't feel my leg and it's burning like hell, is an account of a guy, it was in 1978, he wrote like a a timeline of when his father was stung by this thing. So it it reads something like, uh, 10, 15, dad gets stung. Uh, 10, 17, we sit him down, there's pain all the way up the leg. Uh, 10, 22, he starts struggling to breathe. Uh, 10, 29, he loses consciousness. 10, 33, he's dead. (laughs) So, So here I'm sitting, I'm thinking, okay, well, this sucks. I'm going to die from a scorpion bite at the foot of Kilimanjaro. I mean, it sounds romantic, but still, I wasn't into it. That's all I have. Anyway, so I've got antihistamines. I take that. Um, I put the ice on and everything. So the group comes back eventually from shooting. They're happy. They've got amazing stuff. I'm busy dying. So everybody goes to bed. So again, my tent's on the far side. And I go there and I hobble. (laughs) And I remember this like yesterday. I get into bed, right? And I lay down. And I'm looking down at my foot. And I literally, and, and now it's like, it's like, it's like when you see an uh, a, a ant walking on someone or a spider, you start itching, right? So now I'm looking and I'm thinking, okay, I think my breathing's, okay, no, 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 it's too fast, Jerry, this is not right. And so I'm laying there and I leave my foot open. I've got the duvet over me. Dixon comes to check two or three times. I said, it's cool, don't, don't worry. You should, but don't worry. <laughs> and I remember looking at my foot and I closed my eyes and literally I thought to myself, this could be the last time you ever close your eyes. That's how dramatic I was, right? Total drama llama. Okay. So the next morning I wake up. First thing is like, oh, thank fuck. I woke up. That's great. Good start. So I look at my foot and I've got, like I said, there's a duvet and then a white sheet. So there's a white sheet off to the side. So I don't feel a thing. The burning sensation is gone. There's no pain. I move my toes around slowly, and it just feels tight, but no pain at all, at all, nothing. So I think, okay, this is a good start. So I pull the the sheet so I can see more, see if the leg, the sheet touches my foot, and it's like it starts all over again. The pain that shoots through my leg all the way up to my knee is literally unbearable. I think I screamed like a 12-year-old girl in my tent. 
right? Dixon comes running, are you okay? Oh no, still, I'm still dying, we good. Anyway, so yeah, I had some pictures of this thing, I threw it away eventually, but that was an interesting one. And then what happened afterwards, and again, this is the only situation I've ever had, ever going to these places, right? So after that, Nancy and myself went to um, Altakai or Serena, I think Serena Ambassadi for a private guided extension to the trip. And it was fine. It was, and I was like, I was limping because the whole thing felt like it was bruised and sore. But every single time when I showered and the water ran down my leg and attached from my knee down, I don't know if it was a nerve or whatever the case was, this pain would just shoot. It lasted about three months. It kept going. Now, someone said to me after the fact, I should actually have got some warm water and put my foot in there just when it happened. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, memories on memories. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm glad to say I survived that. On that particular trip, I also came home and I got tick bite fever. Lyme disease for you guys from the States. Similar. I don't think I've ever slept that much in my life. I was basically a, a, a corpse for four days. I slept solid. Nothing. Yeah, tick bite fever, army ants, and a scorpion one trip. Way, way, way back. Thank goodness. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you see, and all of this, this entire podcast, all of this is purely because I watched some stories of Mike and memories bring back memories, bring back memories. I think it's amazing. Anyway, <laughs> I can't wait to get back to Kenya. It is such a special place. And I'm already, I was thinking the original idea with this particular podcast was to talk about the the, the highlight moments when you go there, like checking in, getting on the plane, hearing the, the Kenya Airways jingle, arriving, seeing Billy's face, arriving at the Western uh, seeing the the faces of the people who greet you. So I was going to do that, but this just took me down memory lane. <laughs> Two weeks from now, I'll back there, make more memories with my guests and with the staff who are absolutely amazing. Can't wait. Memories bring back memories. Bring back memories. Good fun. Anyway, guys, as always, if you're still listening, thank you so very much. I truly appreciate your time and you for lending me your ear. I, um, it is like oxygen to me when I hear from you when you leave comments and stuff so thank you so very much if you want to email me jerry g-e-r-r-y at wildeye.co.za and I'm jerry van Vault on all the social media platforms I love to hear from you for now though time to wrap this one up and I will chat to you in the next episode my name is Jerry I'm from Wild Eye have a good one <laughs>